0: I love the saying, if you want to see what's important to someone, if you want to see what they value, just look at their calendar, where you spend the bulk of your time is what's important to you. And if you're still having to pay the bills or run the sales calls, one of two things could be happening. Number one, you're either just doing it because that makes you feel important. You have a bias, like an adrenaline bias to doing it. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you're contributing. But the reality is, is you're not going to create a a global monster like you're building over there, Tommy. Tommy if you're out still running the sales calls or if you're out in the trucks, you're out, you know, you have to build the leaders who will empower and create that for others. And that's that's what we found, is that the businesses that can grow, we've aligned with the owners and the leaders who understand and accept that. They need to create pathways for others and they need to work on, not in the business.
1: Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields, like marketing, sales, hiring, and
0: leadership,
1: to find out
0: what's really behind their
1: success in business. Now, your host, the Home Service Millionaire, Tommy Mello. Hey there, welcome back to the Home Service Expert. You guys know me, Tommy Mello here. here with my really good friend as of had an opportunity to meet him in Arizona, spent some time in Minnesota. He came to Phoenix again, uh, Julian Scadden. And uh, we were on the phone quite a bit. I just, I knew your last name. I just never pronounced it. I don't want to butcher it, but
0: not as easy as mellow.
1: It's not as easy as mellow. Well, uh, Julian's an expert with training, team building, coaching. He's the CEO of Star Network. i sure you guys probably heard of it. It's a monster company. Out of Minnesota, and what they do is they focus on best practices, better buy rates, anything you'd want to do in HVAC, plumbing, electrical. They're very focused in that niche. So those of you that aren't in those fields, you might be able to learn something here. Uh, Julian was also part of an HVAC company in Atlanta. He knows the trades. He's been one of the top coaches. He trains on sales. He teaches people how to buy better, how to use software. So I think there's what eight hundred and eighty members of NextStar.
0: That's right. Yeah, eight hundred
1: and eighty. Right. So he's the president, and CEO. He had that last year, and he's a predecessor to Jack Tesser, who uh, those of you that know who Jack is, he was on the podcast a couple of years ago. He's an amazing guy, and he he chose Julian to kind of take the next step, the next leap, and the next growth spurt that they're working on. So great run company, amazing what they do, and he's the founder of Breakthrough Mindset. And here's a little uh, some of his accomplishments. Julian has worked in the business operations side of plumbing, heating, and cooling for more than 20 years, and has found success all along the way. In 2013, Nextdoor Network hired him on a first training implementation coach, a role that he helped create. Then he became the president just last year. So I guess the best place to start is tell us a little bit about your history and everything that's led up to this new position at NextStar.
0: Sure, and thank you for the gracious introduction, NextStar. We're truly proud of what's been built here and the honor to keep it going. And I love this podcast because home service experts, any home service provider, many of you are gonna have a very similar story from what I experienced. And I started with these right here, started with our hands. We're out there in the field, we're making it happen. Fresh out of high school, I was a, a ditch digger for a sewer line crew and then became an apprentice and then moved into the office operations. So I've been around home services for a long time. And that's all Nextstar focuses on when uh, Tommy mentions plumbing, heating, cooling, and electrical. We help the residential service providers because we believe and we know that that's a great business model. It's it's a way to get cash right then and there when you're done. And I believe in it. So from the trades, I've run operations. uh, I've been around the operations and then eventually hit a, a stage in my life where I wanted to I wanted to do some coaching and consulting myself. I uh, was fortunate enough to uh, team up with NextStar. We created an implementation coach position. So all of the great ideas you have, all of the vision, all of that strategy, it doesn't matter unless somebody gets it done. So that's what that position was about. And now we have uh, operations coaches that help you with your strategy and your budgeting. We have implementation coaches that make sure it gets done back home. And that's something I'm very proud of. And uh, yeah, I've been at NextStar for eight years an amazing organization and an amazing board of directors. We are member owned. So our organization is a little bit unique. Every single one of our members owns one equal share of Nexstar. And it is our mission to return any profit that we make in the form of goods and services to our members. So guided by our uh, board of directors, which is made up of members. And then we execute the day-to-day strategy. So at a high level, that's that's how I got here. And that's what we do.
1: And then um, you've been... Kind of all over the place. You've lived, go through your kind of history where you live. Yeah,
0: a few places. Denver, Colorado, you know, just outside of Denver, Colorado's home, a little city called Commerce City or Aurora. Uh, then I went to New York, had family in Brooklyn, spent a little time out there. Atlanta, spent about a decade in Atlanta, really uh, growing a residential business. And now here, uh, just outside of uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. So that's where I get around to.
1: And then you, you and your wife one day, have uh, discussed possibly the beautiful state of California. Is that right?
0: Well, that's what we were deciding right before uh, Minnesota. I was just looking at different opportunities and we were, we were set. We were looking at La Jolla, which is near San Diego. We got our minds all the way wrapped around that. And then Nextar calls me with this opportunity that I just couldn't pass up. She'd always known if Nextar ever called that I'd listen. And so I kind of diverted. I took this lovely Jamaican woman from thinking she was going to be in Southern California. And now we're here in Minnesota, eight years strong.
1: Cool. Well, that's awesome. You know, I have a guy here that's we're trying to bring on to help with acquisitions and just really, really high level. Mm. And he said, Well, where do you think you fit in the marketplace? A1 garage door service. I've done a lot of research. You guys seem to be a a big company in the space. And I said, I'm really proud of where we sit in the garage door space. But I gotta tell you, the guys that I talk to every day that I surround myself with are doing two, three, five hundred million. And we're not quite there as far as, as organized to the level of detail. And he said, well, why do you think that is? And I said, I give a lot of credit to the founders and what Nextstar has done over the last 30 years is really built specific things for those three trades. right? Down from recruiting, to software, to the buy groups, to how to wrap your vehicles, to every single aspect of it. And they've worked together because they believe they're stronger together and I'd like to know from your perspective what you feel is some of the best strengths of building a group. Well, because, you know, like I said, a lot of the people here, whether you're window washing, gutter cleaning, mm-hmm. roofing, what's the advantages of putting a group like Nextstar Network together that the different people that are part of the group get out of it?
0: Well. You know, what I would invite is I would think that most people listening, you know, if you're running a business, you have some form of what I would call a mastermind group. You have some form of maybe even like a personal board of directors, people that you bring around. There's a certain select inner circle. You know, Tommy, you're amazing about networking. You know, everybody, but you also have your inner circle is what John Maxwell calls it. The people you keep closest, the people that you learn from. And what NextStar was able to do, over time, was to create an entire network or a community of people with that mindset of helping each other, of lifting each other, of being there for each other. But it did start it started with a very small select group. It started with a very intentional, as you said, uh, systematic way of how we meet when we get together. To this day, anytime we have a training or an organization, you know, we do the the icebreaker things. We get the meeting started, but we always, in every book we have, we have a code of conduct. And we talk about how we're going to behave when we're together and how we're going to communicate and and the, just the rules of engagement. Because, the, you know, the other part of this, and you'll get this, you know, it gets a little dangerous when you start to get these groups together, especially with what we're looking at here related to employment and needing opportunity. So let's just say I have 20 different companies in one training and, you know, you're kind of looking around the room, and go, man, These are the best of the best. You know, if I could get them to come work for me, but we can't have that. We have to be able to host a party where everybody respectfully plays by the rules and acknowledges that we're here to become the best of the best. We're here representing either one brand or or one uniform, whether they're your neighbor or from another state, but we have to have high ethics and integrity to to maintaining what we said we're gonna do. And and that's really it. If we can treat this network as it grows, as we've always treated our small mastermind groups, and then we have to facilitate those relationships, Tommy. You know, there's times, and you'd even mentioned there's going to be shots fired and people are going to say, hey, Nexstar has this person in the in the group and they're unethical. You know, I don't know. But if we find out about it, we're going to have that conversation. We have an ethics committee that will deal with that. Nobody's perfect. And, and many times when we have a concern with a member here and, and we bring it to a committee made up of their peers, it doesn't fall on Julian. That's the beautiful thing about Nextar, too, is we have committees made up of their peers, of members who will hear the information, look for the facts, go over the detail, and decide the consequence or the outcome. So it's a little bit in how we're set up, too, being member-owned that really helps protect this beautiful thing that we have.
1: Yeah, it's very special. I mean, you don't get a lot of 880 members. You know, I had an opportunity to be up in that beautiful building, see the Mississippi River, and just, it's so organized. It's so structured. I love it. And I got to tell you, one of the things we walked in on, and you, you gave me the opportunity, is we got to see you said, Hey, don't be ADD and don't bother anybody if we walk in. But luckily, so the first they, thing you did. They were all standing up and they were all doing role play and recording themselves. So I really like what you guys do. And, and you were a coach for a long time. And I want to really get into this okay. because coaching, I've been reading a lot of books lately on coaching. I'd rather be a coach than a manager. I'd rather be working with you. The coach is calling off the plays. They're always worried about their players. They want the best for their players. They talk a lot about their personal lives. And coaches are friends. It's a life-term relationship of a coach, whether it's high school, middle school. Like, you remember your coaches. Yeah. You watch the film. But I got a lot out of that. They were role-playing. They were recording it. They had some cool. Everywhere you go, you flip something up, and you were posting it on the wall. Then you got one right behind you there. But yeah, why don't we go into what that looks like? Because you told me the number one thing the next year is known for is we go in and we do the sales coaching, help them learn uh, conversion rates, stuff like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and what you're touching on, you walked into one of our trainings and, and we do, we, we, you know we don't want to lecture and just tell you what to do and go home and hope you do it. We have plenty of skill practice built in where you can get your boots on the ground and run through different scenarios. And many times when you come to training, people say, "Oh, you know, but what about the one time X happened? Well, let's practice the eighty percent, get some skill set, practice, understand the psychology, the sales psychology, and then we'll start throwing those wrenches. So it's a progressive buildup in the training. But coaching, that's where you really got me going. There's something, actually that I'll show you here. this is this is my desk, This is how it's set up. This is uh, always like this. So two of the things that I keep right here are five coaching questions. This is not ours. Okay, this is from a a group, I think he's called Box of Crayons. Uh, He's a keynote that I've seen before. And these are just coaching questions. You know, instead of prescribing to people what they need to do or how they should be thinking. So the first one is, what's on your mind? You know, it just opens up the conversation, lets the person lead. What's on your mind? Hey, tell me what's on your mind today, all right? Then the second thing, you know, most likely people are, are coming to you for solutions. That's pretty common when you're the leader and they'll say, well, you know, what's on my mind? Well, you know, we're running low on inventory and X, Y, and Z. Next question is, what's the real challenge? What's the real challenge? And then you'll watch people work into that. Well, the real challenge is we need product. And what else? So number three is, and what else? Well, really the guys are getting upset. You know, it's harder for me to keep them motivated and I'm worried that they're gonna start looking at other place. Oh, okay. So inventory is a little bit of a symptom and now you're really worried about retention. And then the fourth one, what do you want? What do you want? And then they'll tell you, well, I, I want it X, Y, and Z. And then the fifth one, what was most useful? what was most useful. And I believe this is Michael Bungay and I forget his last name, Steiner. I forgot to pronounce it. But Box of Crayons, he's a great coaching organization. I'd say look him up. And then the other one that I keep close here is from uh, a group, Fierce Conversations. And uh, as you talked about a coach. Yep. Yep, you got it. You know I I saw it. I it. Yep. (laughs) You know I saw it. So first Conversations, and when you talked about a coach, you know, when you say we remember our coaches and we love our coaches, part of the thing we love about our coaches is they say the things to us that people need to say. So we don't necessarily love them because they're cheerleaders, they're coaches. So they're going to ask you the things that need to be said, or they're going to have the conversations that need to be said. And that's what Fierce Conversations is about. Is sometimes you being a leader of your business, and I don't care if you're the owner of the business, I want you to listen to this language very carefully, you being a leader in your business means that you will have the conversations that need to be had, the uncomfortable conversations, the tough conversations, the coaching conversations. That's what will separate you from others is your willingness to dive in. And what Fierce Conversations taught us is even a failed conversation is better than no conversation. So you've gotta have it. But I have my coaching questions here too. They have a coaching model. They have a, a confrontation model. So we continue to learn. So I, the reason, two reasons I point out these resources, number one, they work for me, I use them. Number two is it's not all about next star materials. Okay. That's the point. We don't have it all figured out. We continue to learn from others too. And we apply it. We eat our own cooking. We have our weekly one-to-ones with every staff member. So I'll pause there because I can go on and on about coaching. I'd love it.
1: You know, I'm going to have Bree bring in a um, sheet of paper in a little bit, but I got the opportunity and I just want to hear your uh, thoughts on this. I got the opportunity at Service Titan to actually sit through Jack's one hour and uh, he knows who I am. I'm honored to know him and and you as well. And he's sitting up there at the front and he goes, you know, my job as a CEO next year this was several years ago, is to build leaders from within. And that's one of the things you said to me when you sat right here in the seat. You said, I just want to know how you plan on building leaders. With your growth, you got to know how to bring in leaders because you can't build them quick enough. And part of that was having your employees and your management come in, and uh, I say coaches, come into you and tell you what they did well, what they need to work on, where they spend most of their time, what the goals that they got done that week. That's right. And um, we took what he built for us and modified it to A1. And it it works. I got to tell you, Adam uses it and Luke and Brian use it more than I do. And I probably should be using it more. I, I never had the old fashioned sit down with a CEO and get trained on how a CEO works. I feel like my job is definitely the visionary of the business. I'm not great at integration, but... Tell me a little bit about what it was like to experience that firsthand and how you use those, how you build leadership from within the company.
0: Thank you. And it was a privilege to really sit with Jack over the years and watch how he would allow me to lead. He would watch my thinking. And and there's a few things that he talks about. So I am going to quote him, you know, a few things that Jack talks about in that weekly one-to-one, when you're having that weekly one-to-one, number one, it never changes. Same day, same time, critically important. You can count on it like clockwork and you let the employee lead it and He'll always say, here's a way to look at your direct reports. The leaders are going to be talking about tomorrow and what they're excited about and what they can do next. The people who are looking to be directed are talking about yesterday and what happened. So just, first off, just start to notice that in your conversations with people. Are they talking about yesterday and here's what happened and oh my gosh, because it's gonna sound a lot like excuses and reasons. Or the people that just, you know, are they excited about what's next? Are they talking about the future? Are they constantly saying, and bringing solutions, you know, here's what happened and here's what I think we should do next. That's a way of thinking into tomorrow, even if they mentioned yesterday, and here's what I think we should do. They're solution oriented. And leaders will also say things like, check my thinking hey, Tommy, you know, I have this idea, or they say something like, what am I not thinking about? That was one of my favorite questions to Jack, because I never liked just personally to be the person who would come in and and have him solve it for me, because, you know, just, I don't feel good about that. You know, why am I in this position? If you have to give me the answer, I'd say, you know, here's, here's the issue, here's three potential solutions, what am I not thinking about? What else should I be thinking about? And here's another question I like to ask people. How would you think about this? And just get their perspective. Well, I would think about, you know, the partners. I would think about the membership. I would think about your leadership team. So to your point, watching and developing leaders is so much about listening to where they're at today because you can't make someone something they're not ready to be. And so some leaders you're going to import and bring in for diversity, for different perspectives as your business is growing. As I talked to you about, you know, you're at a rapid ascension. So I think you'll be well-served to bring in a few leaders. And I know that, you know, if it's not for morale, it's it's for, operational knowledge that you need to develop. So that's the something that I had with Jack is he was always refining my thinking and he was always challenging my thinking, You know things like the five whys, just asking somebody why. Five times, I remember one day I came in for a one-to-one, ran through the report, we had a great meeting, then right at the end he just leans in and he just said, Julian, tell me why it's important for you to be extraordinary in the COO position. Why is it important to you that you must be extraordinary in that position? And I said some answer and he goes, okay, why? So I said another answer, okay, why? And I started to get frustrated. I said, well, you know, this, and I started to get passionate. Well, why? Why? And we got down to my underlying why, and he got to know me and what drives me and what my motivations were. And it solidified it for me by having to go through that exercise. So things of that nature are what a really great coach helped bring out of you. And those are the things they're looking for. I would presume from my experiences, and it's worked well for us.
1: You know, one of the things you told me was absolutely necessary if you want to be part of Next Star. You said there's one main thing you gotta be out of the truck. You can't be yep. the guy doing the work anymore. And I love that. And I want you to explain to the audience why that's so important.
0: Well, it's critical. And you know, I think we all can go back to the e-myth. i make a big presumption here that those listening would be familiar with that, you know, get you from technician to manager to a turnkey business. And there's some great resources, specifically in our industries, where if you're still in the truck, they can help get you out of the truck. But Star's resources are pretty broad and we do have a high demand of you. As you mentioned, Tommy, we're only, and I'm gonna say only about 900 members, and we're not looking to be thousands of members. There's some models that that's great for, and there should be thousands of people or members in the network, that's good. We're hyper-focused, we're hyper-intensive, we're hyper-engaged, we have a 95% retention rate. So we wanna get into your business with you and we really wanna work in every function with you. So if you're out there in the truck, you just can't do it. I love the saying, if you want to see what's important to someone, if you wanna see what they value, just look at their calendar. Where you spend the bulk of your time is what's important to you. And if you're still having to pay the bills or run the sales calls, One of two things could be happening. Number one, you're either just doing it because that makes you feel important. You have a bias, like an adrenaline bias to doing it. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you're contributing. But the reality is, is you're not going to create a a global monster like you're building over there, Tommy, if you're out still running the sales calls or if you're out in the trucks, you're out, you know, you have to build a leader's will and power and create that for others. And that's, that's what we found is that the businesses that can grow, we've aligned with the owners and the leaders who understand and accept that they need to create pathways for others and they need to work on, not in the business.
1: Just because, and I didn't mean to go this way, Julian. There's just an audience here. If Jack does watch this, which you need to make sure he does. Got it. Randy Ponson just said, Jack Tess was my manager before he went to Nextstar. I still use things I learned from him every day. And Al Levy, the great Al Levy said, Jack told me, it's always the owner. Need to inspire and implement. Not one or the other, but both. Um yeah. And then Bree just brought this in. This might look familiar. Man, you've got some Um, strong
0: people listening here. What's up, guys? uh, What did you
1: spend time with this week? Significant activities, Mm -hmm. observation, insights, or ideas. What are you not doing that we should be doing? And then we've got our, our performance that are you implementing the A1 Garage things? And what did you do well this week? What can we improve on next week? What is the most important decision you're facing? What keeps you from making it? What helper direction do you need, key activities and priorities for next week? Uh, Just really cool to have that. And what I wanted to talk to you about was when I walked around and I went into your break room, there was all this stuff on the wall with goals. And and you said it's not that time of the year where we got everything underlined and I think highlighted what you have. But
0: Mm.
1: was that like a six-month plan? Can you tell me a little bit about what that was and why you guys do it?
0: For sure, for sure. Those are our 100-day our plans, so it's broken down to quarters. And then we ensure that every person here, every single one of us has uh, their 100-day plan posted in our break room where, believe it or not, people are still coming together again. I keep mine right here. So it's just a format, You know, it's, it's your quarterly plan, it's what you're going to do. But then what we do is you go through, you highlight as you complete, and either you do or you don't. And then at the end of each quarter, we get a spreadsheet. And I don't see the initiatives, I don't see exactly what you worked on, but I see green or red. And, you know, what? that's what you and I were talking about. If I see six months, you know, so two quarters in a row, three quarters in a row or definitely a year in a row and it's all green, we have an issue because this is not your day-to-day activities. These are projects or, or innovative solutions or things that you're tackling and taking on. I shouldn't see green all the time. And of course, inversely, if I see a bunch of red, you're either not equipped, supported or in the right position with the initiatives you're taking on. So we do that public display. We highlight it. We go through it every quarter. So we can all stay focused and sure, you know, you can look at another department, you know, how many times have you been in a, in an organization and I'll just make this up for an example, but you have this great idea and you say, you know what, in the next three months, I'm going to knock out a video series of 12 videos and the videographers they're over in another department and they've got their own idea of what they're doing for the next few months. And then who's going to win? You know, you're going to win by title. And then they have uh you know, some resentment towards you for bullying in on their plans. So that's the other thing is we we go over it quarterly at our leadership meetings. We look for what carries over, what aligns, what overlaps, and then we help our direct reports know what's coming. So it's it's really about alignment and direction as well as reporting.
1: So when I went there, you introduced me to quite a few people and it was really cool how the place is set up and structured. I've had an issue that I think a lot of companies have faced in the past, and there's a good book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And what happened to my business, and it happens, it's going to continue to happen is certain parts of the company get siloed. And what happens is as well, as you start caring about your own team, like the CSRs and it's CSRs versus the dispatchers or dispatchers versus the technicians. But sometimes as leaders as well, we forget that it's the, the greater good is what matters. Right. And unsiloing the company. And that happens through group activities, team building events, Better communication, fierce conversations. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your experience with that kind of things that happen, I'm sure, as you start coaching businesses.
0: For sure. And going along with Lynchoni's work on the five dysfunctions, well, first you have to understand the five dysfunctions, learn how to read those symptoms and then address them. And the foundation is trust. So you just start with trust. If that's not there, everything else, you, you can't build on top of it. But the other thing that Lynchoni talks about is he talks about understanding your first team. And, and I do think everything starts with you, Tommy. That business is going to move in the way you move. They're going to behave the way you behave. And your leadership team is going to do the same. And so if your leadership team, and here's what I mean by the first team by Lynchoni, at least the way that we apply it, is that you're going to have uh, service line managers, just to use that language as an example. So we've got we've got Tommy up top casting the vision, he's leading the way. Then we have our service line managers. But if our service line managers are so focused on their department goals, their budget, you know, and they're just coming and reporting, hey, we knocked it out of the park, you know, service is leading and installs behind, oh well. And if they don't understand their first team is the overall organization's budget. It's not their departmental budget. Their first team is, hey, we're short people. How can we help every department? We need to get a message out. How can we cascade that through the organization? Their first team is that leadership team. It is not their department. They're serving that team before they serve any individual employee. Now, I need to be careful when I say this to ensure you hear it correctly. I'm not saying you discard or don't take care of your employees, but I'm saying it is your responsibility as a leader to help ensure that the employees in your department understand the vision. And if you don't understand it, you got to come knock on this door and you got to get clear with the CEO or the VP or whomever until you know it front, back and side. There was many times, many times in the course of you know four years where I didn't understand something clearly by Jack, the you know, directive that we had, or maybe another leader. And I would sit down and get more information because it was so critical to me that I would be lockstep with him, that we would be aligned. And out of all those times I, did, I needed more information, we really only disagreed. And we talk about this in the course of, of three years together as VP and, and I'm being his right hand. There's only three things that I really remember I'd strongly disagreed with. And I would encourage anybody listening here who has disagreements with the person they report to, you have a choice. You speak your position, you gain more information, and then you have a choice. Either you're gonna fall in line or you're not, but you don't get to carry that on outside this door. And I feel strongly about that because I didn't. There were a few things that I strongly disagreed with him on. Few things, very few things, but I did completely disagreed. And then he would give me the context and he would support his decision. And he'd say, Julian, that's how we're gonna move forward. And I'd say, Roger that, we're locked in, let's go. And that's the other thing about how you don't carry resentments, you have those uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the five dysfunctions that people don't have those conversations. So I'll just pause there because I feel like I'm getting a little tangent.
1: No, 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 it's great stuff. I, I think that I got a lot out of that and I was able to find this pretty quickly is the mission for Next Star Network is to guide and develop service providers to be simply the best in customer service, profitability and employee engagement. But here's what I love, the vision. By October 31st, 2023, the median Next Star member will enjoy 10% revenue growth and 15% net profit. What I love so much about that is there's dates, there's timelines. That's right. Tell me why you guys decided to make the vision so intentional and do you always change it once you hit that date?
0: We do, we do. And actually what's really cool about that vision is we actually, we hit it ahead of time. So number one, in mission, we believe Uh, you know, another great read, which I know you're up on, but Simon Sinek talks about the infinite game and a just cause, a cause so just that people will rise up and work for it every day, even if they know they won't see it realized in their lifetime. That is the next star way. Our employees know that we will never see the day where the entire industry is perfect, professional, that every, you know, business owner and employee has achieved their ultimate life, but we will wake up every day and fight for that. So we have a just cause. That's our mission, to be simply the best in employee engagement customer satisfaction, and profitability. And so now we know our true north. So so we know our mission, we know our why, and we know how to measure it. But then our vision must be time-sensitive and it must have metrics, and that's what we believe. So you're right, and we actually changed it because it was that our median member would have 10% year-over-year revenue growth and 12% net profit. But we achieved that 12%, so we just went ahead and changed it. Changed it up to 15, let's shoot for that now. So yeah, we'll keep chasing it and keep driving it as our members keep growing.
1: So one of the other things, while I was at your office, and I got a lot to talk about, but we got plenty of time. You got staff personality profiles. I know that people can't see it, but it's a yeah. it's a round circle with, with basically everything from accuracy, stability, support, collaboration, enthusiasm, action, results, and challenge. Then you got every employee where they land on that profile, and what I see here is. It's all over the place. It's a good thing. It's very well (laughs) plotted out. It's not like it's all centered. And uh, the more I talk with private equity companies, they talk about how they'll do the personality profiles of the leadership team. And what they'll usually notice is there's there's a big piece of the pie missing. And as they put in a, a person to take that role, they get infinite growth from there. Tell me a little bit about the purpose of understanding people's profile and personality profile.
0: Thank you. First I'll speak to the two profiles that we use. One is DISC and one is color code. And the reason that we use those two is color code is your motivation. It's your motive, why you show up, why you do the things you do. And there's four different colors. And then DISC, many are familiar with, is your behavior. So there's a big difference between your motivation and your behavior. You know, we can have people that have the exact same motivating factors and a different behavior style. So that's why we believe it's important. Number one, that we can understand your motivation, the things that drive you, why you get started. It's important to know that what gets people going. And then the other way, the other thing that's important to understand is their behavior, you know, how they show up, how they react, how they like information presented, how they will present information. And the reason that we use these two models is not for, I'll say it this way. Hey, you guys know how I like to be communicated with, do everything my way. No, it's about us stretching to the other person. It's that we should investigate the other person. Just having this conversation with a leader a moment ago in our one to one, we were talking about an initiative that they needed help from somebody else on, and we just stopped. I said, okay, now I think they're a D. You know, I think they're a D on the profile, and I'm pretty sure they're a red in the motivation. How would you craft your message with that? And they say, oh yeah, that's right, I think so. And they you know, kind of change their message the way, because we want to stretch to you. It's not about, you know, my style, figure me out. It's about, I need to understand other, you know, it's the Covey thing. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. And that's why we use it in that way.
1: I think it's really smart. I, you know, we did the color code. I got a book. This book was, um, there's not a lot of stuff on the color code. I'm sure there's online tests, but I found this book and, and Al uses a different one. And then everybody seems to use, but it's so smart to personality profile your peers and to understand their strengths. When I first started with the predictive index, the CEO actually trained us and he said, Tommy, you and I overlap perfectly. And he goes, it's crazy. So they overlapped me and him and it was like the exact same line. And he goes, Brian, <laughs> Brian's one of the managers, he goes, I'm guessing you can't stand Tommy at certain points. And he goes, well, I like Tommy, but sometimes professionally. And I said, well, what what do you mean? And the guy said, well, look, Tom, Brian will work really hard on a project and he'll want to show you the details. And you hate details. You just want to know, does it work? Does the car run? Does it move? You're a big up here guy. He's down here going through each and every little niche and cranny and understanding nook and cranny. And he's making sure it's perfect. (laughs) And you're just... He wants to give you an hour presentation on why it all works the way it does. And you're just like, does not work? And then he's like, he walks out on flag pages. Was it, but here's the deal. He goes, let me explain myself and Tommy to you. And Brian goes, Oh my God, that makes so much sense. He goes the whole time. I thought I was just being shit on basically. And, and yeah. he goes, no, 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 that's not that at all. But once you understand his personality, you'll understand why. And now he's able to explain that. So I think it's very powerful things that you guys have that, And the tools that you guys use and the things you guys have around there with 880 or 900 companies that have been successful and them all bring stuff to one company to endorse and get behind everybody. There's just so many tools you guys have developed. One of the questions that Greg had was, how do you motivate your team to achieve big targets when the odds are against you?
0: I feel like everything's against us right now. It's, and you know, here's the thing. I don't necessarily believe in motivating other people. So. Go ahead and get excited, get angry, and you know do whatever you need to do, people. But here's what I say. And again, I'll go back to a jackism. So I'm running a business in Atlanta. We're plumbing, heating, and cooling. And I remember on one of my coaching calls, because he was my business coach too when I was a member, so I, I was a member. And I remember just telling him about, you know, this this person. This person was really getting on my nerves. You know, they were always bringing me things. And so I'm being vague right here so to make a point. Is what I realized. He listens to me, and then he says, Hey, Julian. Would you rather guide a racehorse or kick a mule? And what I realized is that one person who was getting on my nerves was actually a racehorse. They were bringing solutions is what they were actually bringing. They were bringing ideas and concepts and everybody else around me was waiting for me to be the answer person. And that made me feel good. And so I was looking at this one person who was the racehorse as if they were the wrong person, they were the bad person because I felt good around everybody else because everybody else needed me to tell them what to do. And so that's just on the motivation point there, uh, Gregory's why I wanna bring that up, is that just hire people who have the motivation and what you're gonna find is you really don't need to motivate them when the odds are against them. They're gonna be scaring your pants off. I'm gonna tell you right now, the people that we hire and the staff brings things to me and I go, I don't know how the heck we're gonna do that. But I just ask a lot of questions. I follow what Jack modeled here and helped build with us. And even Jack's predecessor, Greg Neamy, you know, very similarly, Big, big. Our founder Frank Blau. Frank Blau believed that we could raise the industry, and I mean, just you can't tell this man otherwise. So then you just surround yourself with like people like that. Now, here's what I will say though about motivation. I just wanted to make that point first. Make sure that you have self-motivated people around you. Don't be the source of all energy. But here's what I will say: is I think your job, as it relates to motivation, is you can spark motivation. Okay, there's there's a time where you can come by, you know, an add-a-boy. Well, time to add-a-boy. You can uh, create the environment for motivation. Meaning that ensure that they have everything they need. Ensure that you keep a pulse of where they're at when they're against all odds because they're going to get fatigued. So it's not just the rah-rah, but it's also do they have everything they need. Keep, keep your finger on the pulse and then recognize motivation. So then you circle back around again and not the attaboy to get them going, but the acknowledgement that you're aware of what they're doing. So yes, even though I say I don't believe in motivation, there are ways that you can create motivation. And a, a book that I found really strong on this is I think it's Brandon Burchard, The Motivation Manifesto. I know the book is called The Motivation Manifesto, but he talks about how you can facilitate, how you can spark it, and how you can flame it, but you can't necessarily create it in someone. And I, and I subscribe to that same thinking. So hire great people, but then support them and check in on them. You know, don't, don't leave them out there just because they're motivated, because also they can take off down a wrong path. You know, a, a racehorse without direction can be a real problem. Uh, so that's my quick answer to that and my thoughts on that question. So thanks, thanks for submitting that. I appreciate it.
1: I don't necessarily think you know motivation could be created, but I do think that it stems from passion. When I'm at the front of my room and I'm talking, you know, I said, "You want to know what happens last?" This was last Thursday. I said, "I don't get on the phone and tell people who I am when I'm helping out, or or even when I'm in the garage. I don't announce." But there's a good likelihood, probably nine out of ten times, that they're going to ask me if I'm the owner. Mm-hmm. Why is that? I'm confident. I believe in the product. I believe in the company, but I'm passionate. You could hear it in my voice. You could see it in my eyes. There's a tear that bubbles up sometimes when I'm talking about people in garage doors and I'm excited about the smile of your home and what it's done for me and my family. So I think passion stems a lot of that. And, you know, when you left here, one of the things that I always do, and and you were receptive to this because you're a reader, is I always give people books. And uh, I think I gave you the sales boss. That's right. And then, Go for no. And I know you said you got through uh, the sales boss, right? Yep. What'd you think? Tell me a little bit about what you thought about that book.
0: Yeah, sales boss was great. I, and I mean this in the most respectful way as an operator. I loved how basic it was. It gave me a framework. It gave me an outline. It told me what to do. Thank you. I don't need you to wax on poetic in your books and give me all, you know, it's it's nice. And I told you this too, because that's yeah. why I was getting mad at you. You had me like three different books and I go, Tommy, don't give me these books that are 500 pages. that could have been 100, you know, you yeah. get to the point give me the red meat and tell me what to do and i really like that one that one was well outlined well done a very fundamental and i mean that as that's a good thing you know look at the uh, san antonio spurs when they had their run of championships you know they were called boring for their fundamentalism in the way that they ran basketball but that's the point the fundamentals don't lose It didn't take a superstar to win all those championships. When you're counting on that one salesperson, that one superstar, or or if we're gonna count on, on Tommy to carry this thing, it's gonna be tough to create a legacy. You have to empower those other role players and look at something you mentioned earlier, offsetting strengths and limitations. And the thing that I wanna make sure I circle back on is let's make sure that that person that felt like they were getting dumped on by you, my invitation to you, Tommy, is that he doesn't need to understand your style. Yeah, great. He understands your style now. Now you need to understand his too. And you need to t- slow down sometimes and honor those details and say, hey, you know, Julian, I, you know, you got 20 bullet points. Give me your top five. So, you know, always meet people halfway too, is what I'd encourage, you know, now that you know their love language. But yeah, that was a yep. good one. Yep. I just made all, a all three books you gave me were great.
1: You know, there's a lot of good books here. I got to tell you, <laughs> yeah. you know all these books, I got Alan Roars over there. Obviously, I got Al's and Al just said some of the best books he's read. Have been 150 pages or less, and that's really <laughs> you got to cut the BS in them, and and um, that's what I'm writing another book, and I'm really going to try to make it to the point. Like you could take a book and really write cliff notes, and that's what it should be. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to jump into some real life scenarios today. What's happening, and and there's a couple of them that come to mind. So we'll we'll go through each of them. Number one, in my industry specifically, and it's all over the place. Is um, right now there's a real labor shortage. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is is there's only enough skilled technicians to go around, so a lot of it, one of Biden's goals, I believe, was to raise the wages to get people to come, and he's kind of subsidizing them, saying until you raise your your rates, they get to stay at home. I don't really understand it, but from me my perspective. We've done good. We've got 19 guys here training. We've been able to get people through the door. We've got a good culture. We pay great. We do performance pay. We've got insurance, PTO, but it's definitely an issue. And I, I'm on. I'm connected on a lot of social media. So I get to hear what's going on in other businesses. And it's, it's devastating when you add on the price of product and the limitations of getting product on top of the labor shortage, <laughs> right? I truly believe this is definitely still a seller's market. But in my mind, in business, it's starting to change. It's starting to say, starting to be for me, there's a lot of guys I know in this industry saying they would like to sell right now. Mm-hmm. And in a place of vulnerability, I feel bad. I mean, I'm not happy. And, and Adam comes in and he's like, dude, we're screwed on this, this, this. I say, good, I'm happy. And he goes, what do you mean? I just said bad news. If we're having bad news, it's 10 times worse for somebody else. And there's gonna be opportunities that are built from it. but..." But tell me a little bit about what you're dealing with this kind on of a daily basis. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, we are, and and, it, and I love the fact that you mentioned also the material shortages or price increases. So yeah, we are in a very lean market right now of product and talent. So what are you going to do about it? The, the most successful members, and this is back when I was a member. You know, back in you know 2007. I used to, you know, kind of get after other members back then and said, stop hiring licensed guys. You know, not don't stop hiring licensed guys, but like, is that all you're hiring? What's your apprentice program look like? What are you doing to attract people? What are you doing to connect with the community? And our most successful members, that's what they're doing. You know, I'm seeing them take on technical training right there in their shop. They're bringing people in. They're knowing their retention number. You know, if, to your point, if you bring in 20 guys, how many are really going to stick? And, and to this point, one of our our main our flagship class is called service system. We did a super service system in Atlanta a few weeks ago, we had 200 technicians there. And I saw women in the uniforms. I saw minorities in the uniforms. I saw guys with dreadlocks, you know, with dyed hair, with tattoos. It's like, this is what our community looks like. You know, not everywhere, I get that. You know, if I'm in the middle of, of Utah, not everybody looks that way though, some parts do, I get it. But it, you know, it's really like, what's the identity of your business and who are you welcoming into it? And how are you building them? So, our most successful members, they have these apprenticeship programs, they have these training programs, they're investing in the people. They're not asking the questions of, you know, hey, should I pay him while he's training? And I'm already investing in the training. It's like, come on, man. You know, build your right price and build it for bringing on apprentices and build it for the future. Because not only is it hard to find people, it's not attractive. And, and you know this. And I actually I, I've heard this on some of your podcasts before where these private equity people are talking about. I forget if it's the next 10 years, the number of businesses that will change hands just due to retirement or due to aging out, that's not even the workforce. That's the businesses changing hands. So we have a a compounding mixture right now of many factors that are contributing to not just the labor force, but the changing hands of businesses to now the products that we can get and the pricing on them. This is a, a wild time.
1: You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I just had someone on the podcast last week and I bought his book. I started going through it, but he talks about, millennials taking over baby boomers. And the deal about millennials, and I'm right on the border, is we wanna feel valued. We want a place that we could grow. We also want, and this is not me, (laughs) I'm the opposite, but a good work-life balance. And so a lot of people are starting to experiment with four day work weeks, four 10 10 hour shifts. You're seeing a lot of this. And you know, the market is telling the home service to change It's saying, sure, there's 24 seven demand, but you got to figure out a way to have that work-life balance. For me, I just enjoy business so much. So if I'm out, well, you know, we did it when we were out at restaurants and you were showing me around Minnesota. We had fun and we talked business, but we still enjoyed ourselves and had great dinners and and everything else. And you showed me around. So, But what do you say to somebody that they go, man, we, we're 24-7. The work-life balance is difficult. How do you change that dynamic and that culture in a business?
0: I think it's interesting that you mentioned that the market is really demanding that, and more and more of our members, being you know emergency services, are, are shifting off of on-call. Of course, you always need to have somebody ready if an existing customer you know has water coming out the side of their bathroom wall. Of course, you need. To. But as far as on-call, just for the sake of on-call, of chasing the dollars and the revenue, I've been watching that change the past few years here, and. and and our leading members are just not doing it anymore. They're not putting people on on-call schedules per se and, you know, going out. If it's not an emergency, we're just not sending somebody out. So they can't have a quality of life. I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in quality of life. And I think that's where there's a little confusion, is especially as we look back at our industry of plumbing, heating, cooling, and electrical, is that the baby boomers who built this, they saw the results of parents or grandparents uh, of a depression and the industrial changes, and the things that had to happen, you know, I even remember my grandmother talking about, you know, rations, and so it's just a different mentality as it related to work, it was protecting a country, you know, we were at world wars, and we're very far removed, we have all these conflicts right now, but they don't really impact us us at home, and so we do have a different ethic, we do have a different way of thinking, we, myself included, have a certain level of entitlement that my grandparents and great-grandparents definitely didn't have, and so let's just acknowledge that, let's think about it and let's investigate how we run a a good business model serving our customers top tier without chasing every doggone dollar. If Chick-fil-A can close for a day, completely close and still make more money than anybody else. So I think there's something about honoring your employees and also understanding that when you're on the clock though, you're on. And the thing that I've noticed about millennials, and this is always good for an argument at home or anywhere that I take it, I say, you know, They want to work less or they work different. And I think that for me, this ties back to technology that I watch the veracity at which my children will research things on video. So it looks like they're on their phone, but they're researching, they're watching videos, they're learning, they're avid learners and they're getting after it. And that's work. So just because it's not, you know, banging something with your hands, don't mistake the way that they're building their minds. And I think if we could honor that and say, okay, here's the style and, you know, here's your strengths and here's what you're, you're built to do and predisposed to do that you can get after it. And I think you see this in your business, any kinesthetic learner or worker, they like getting out there. They like banging their knuckles and they like to know when they're done for the day and they don't want to be on call. And that's why I started there.
1: See, you know, the way I learn is just, I got a droid. I prefer PC. I just everything about me is is more structure. I'm not very imaginative. I could take something and make it a little bit better, but I don't. I'm not a creator. And it's good to know where you're at. And it's good to take these these personality tests. And during college, I must have taken a hundred different personality tests to tell you stuff. And it's fun to learn. It's it's interesting. But then there's other people that got all of them, <laughs> and that's that's where you get into trouble. You know, you mentioned on call. I think that the big thing for me is that there's nothing worse in my life than an on-call shift because I got a lot of restaurant history, whether it was busting tables or serving or, or bartending, is you want me to leave this space open and not have fun, not go anywhere, not make an, a, an event or anything and be available. So it's almost worse than a work shift because there's a chance I'm not going to make money, but I got to be... so. I think for me, the way that I've combated that, and it's not perfect, but what I try to do is bring really good jobs. I figure out if you're a night person. And a lot of people like to start at noon and finish at 10. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The staggered shifts for sure.
1: Staggered shifts. And then I pull those on called hours. I'll call tomorrow's jobs. I'll call Wednesday's jobs and try to line up with good ones that night. And then I got both decision makers home, but I still got time with my dispatching to put in those emergency calls.
0: Exactly. So, no, exactly. I mean, what, well, you know,
1: did you have any uh, thing you wanted to add to that?
0: Well, how many calls, Your perfect point, you know, staggered shifts. How many calls really come in after 7 p.m.? You know, and if they do, most of those people just say, hey, I have one clogged toilet. Okay. You know, it may not be an, an emergency tonight, unless it's the only toilet you have. Just, you know, training your staff how to have this respectful conversation, still give great service, but truly identify an emergency need. Well done, man. Take care of your employees.
1: Randy said your comment about millennial work has a spot on, and uh, Al said... Get big enough to make rotating shifts starting from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. You know, there's one thing that I've always heard trumps everything in a business, and I'm the living proof. I was not very good before I met Al, and Al, Al, the seven-power contractor, Al Levy taught us a a world of knowledge, but we were able to bring in a lot of freaking sales, man. We knew how to sell, Mm. and the sales trumped our crappy accounting, our our crazy (laughs) expenses, our, our spend money on useless things, and just... We had so much revenue coming in from sales that we were blinded by a lot of things. Yeah. But I do believe sales is the lifeblood of every company. Marketing and sales go hand in hand with one or another. But I'd love to hear your perspective because so much of my life I've had. There was a time I've had really good sales guys that were poison. They were cancer, mm-hmm. and they really they held down everybody else. Mm-hmm. And there's so much to talk about with sales. But I'd love to hear. You are a sales coach. I mean, this is what you do. You breed salesmen that actually don't take advantage either. You know, you don't need to lie, cheat, or steal, I always say, to get good sales. So give me your your 100-foot view of, of how to build and develop sales within the company. Then we'll talk a little bit about marketing.
0: Well, and that's why I loved your book, because again, it was a, a basic fundamental principle. And if you don't have a sales manager in place because you're right. You can't outrun those bad habits. You'll never make enough revenue because you're going to start running through people. So that's the thing. So many people look at the top line and, and, you know, revenue can buy a new toy, revenue can do this, revenue can do that. But it's also, you know, if you're having a high employee turnover due to those behaviors, there comes a day of reckoning. And, or you're just going to choose to live that life. Okay. If you're just going to be a leaking Sith, then that's your choice. If that's the business you want, and then you're going to be fatigued and you're going to be frustrated. So at some point you have to offset that. And to me, it does get back to the processes and good leaders because salespeople, look, you're crazy. I'm just going to tell you right now. I tell my salespeople here that I love, you're just crazy. You're a different breed of person. If you're out there selling. And so when you have a good sales manager, a good sales leader in place with that good process, like the book you shared, then we have the rules. We have the rules of the road because most people aren't bad people. They're really not. And all of us test the boundaries. You know, I drive into the office about 4 a.m. I don't go the speed limit because I see that there's a low probability of an accident. I see there's a low probability of getting pulled over. And so I push the edges. And that's just the way that people are. But if there's good boundaries, if there's good management, if there's good leadership that's modeled, then people will find if they fit in or get out. And and to me, it's really that simple. So I just think you have to have a good processes, You have good leaders. And you have to have the same accountability for everybody that's on that team. Absolutely.
1: And it really is lightning in a bottle all talks about too is you just can't have these guys that you think you're going to get on to save the company you know what i yeah, mean you got to yeah. be able to, to make them and you got to have consistent overall is better than a couple of guys that are just i've been propped up with a couple of good guys before in the history of the company and, and it, it's scary to know that they kind of control you mm-hmm. and the scariest thing is when you're first getting out of the truck if you fire somebody you're back in the truck <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not a good place to be
0: <laughs> and I, you know a lot of us have been there I like to use the phrase, it falls up with our leaders, you know, if they lose somebody critical or something goes wrong, go, well, that falls up, you know, what are you going to do about it?
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing is, is, as I say, I always be recruiting and, the, and I was just talking to my buddy about some milestones I want to hit and part of it, my attention goes to the biggest problem. And right now I believe the biggest problem always is how do you find the next great canvas with employees? because. If you're growing like I'm growing, we're going to do damn near 100% growth since last year. And that's mm. unhealthy growth, but we built the infrastructure to handle it. But you know what's interesting, too, is I want to move on to marketing. Is As I noticed something, this guy named Dale came in. He works for Kent Goodrich, and Landon Brewer was in town. They both came and visited, and they did a walkthrough. And Dale was pleasantly surprised and said, this is awesome what you guys have done. And I, I really appreciated that. But what I noticed was, is I don't know when it was, but they went to the Wizard of Ads, Roy Williams, and Ken positioned himself differently. He gives a flashlight of stuffed animal. Ghetto's hard to spell, but it'll keep you cool. They talk about his dog named Sadie. They talk about the right way, not the easy way. And they got this messaging all over. Radio, a lot of TV, but billboards and radio is really where he spends his money. And the one thing that Dale told me that stood out is Good sales come from a couple main things he said, and I'll, I'll go through a couple of them. He just said a couple of things need to happen. Number one, a big, big one is they need to know that you're the only company for them. They need to understand that there's not a price war. It's not like you could go to these other places. You're the only right company for them. And that's through the marketing message. And he said, another thing that you need to have is it needs to be done today. This is not something we can put off any longer. And here's why. And a couple other things, payment options and both decision makers and stuff like that. But but what I realized was their brand demanded that. Their brand, Shane Company, another guy, Roy Williams, the Shane Company, you're familiar if you were at Denver during the Shane Company, is, hello, my name's Tom Shane. You know, I, I cut out the middleman and go direct and none of my people make commission. It's the messaging and the marketing and the branding, Dan Antonelli would tell you, is everything to do with marketing and you have no idea because i was a lead gen guy garage repair phoenix is what i went after now i want everybody to search a1 garage door because what i noticed is they say i don't care what the price is i want it done right because you guys are the best i see you guys everywhere i know about the way you train your guys i know there's drug tests background checks good driving safe around my daughter's safe around my kids so explain to me a little bit about marketing and what you've learned through the years, especially because you've got access to sales that I know you can't that, that divulge right now, but you know the biggest, best companies. What are some of the secrets you've seen just by following it over the years?
0: It's really no different from the things you've shared. You just have to find your message, your, your story. I, I will share a resource that I found great value in here for us at NextStar, and it's Story Brand. Donald Miller, you know, the story brand. Yep. And it's really about... Great the, book. Yeah, it's, it's not about you. And everything you just said, is really not about you. It's about how You're the You're not person, the hero. Right. Hero. And it's how they feel about you. You know, Gettle's whole thing is about how the person feels about the thing. It's not, you know, I'm showing up, I'm number one, I'm this, I'm that. It's about, you can trust me and we'll get it done. You're taken care of. and We're the right ones. So, you know, you just have to find your theme, find your brand, find your style, find your voice. But the most important thing is that, yeah, make the customer the hero that it's about them
1: you know i tell my guys i'm like slow the hell down connect with the customer joker style calls it magic moments and when you're when you're there with the customer after you collected the money i can't tell you how many times this has happened julian collected the money now i go through i teach them how to lubricate the door i run it four times i show them how the safety eyes work i clean the opener put new light bulbs in it i blow out the garage and i spend a time with them and then they go you know what Remember that other door you mentioned that you wanted to do the stuff on? Why don't we just get all that done too? Because obviously you're the best home service guy I've ever hired. Anybody that's taking that attention to detail after they collected the money, that buyer's remorse, that, you know, there's an old saying, people love to buy, but they hate to be sold. That's right. And when they go through that experience, it really is something special when you're able to connect. Cause the buyer's remorse that it's fun to watch when a customer says, wow, I'm impressed. I really enjoyed this experience. Is there anywhere that I could go leave you a review rather than asking for a review? Mm. You know, we talked about a lot of stuff, Julian. I like to close with a few things. This is great by the way. I mean, literally I think with the inside knowledge that you have and so many companies that you've coached and just every, you've seen so many different dynamic leaders. This is amazing. You just have so much you've learned over the years, but the few things that I, I, I talk about is if someone wants to reach out to you, I don't necessarily know if everybody listening is HVAC Plumbing Electrical, but yeah. obviously if they do reach out to Star if they're looking to get into the best practices group, Star Network, but if they just wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that?
0: LinkedIn. That's the only place I'm on in social media. Julian Scadden on LinkedIn. You'll find me very easily. And I, I appreciate it. I love connecting. Thank you, Tommy. That's awesome.
1: You know, I do have one thing that I wanted to ask you. Is, Uh-oh, uh, and he's smiling. Well, well, th- there's a couple questions I finished up, but this is not a question I usually ask. Is uh, You know, when I met you, you go, look, I love Jack. I love Nexter, but I'm Julian. This is who I am. <laughs> yeah, This is me. I'm not from a privileged area. You know, I grew up, and uh, yeah. there were areas I lived in town that maybe I'm not proud of, but I'm proud of my past. I'm proud of who I am. And you said, I'm always going to be myself. I might not have the same opinion. I'm out for next stars, everything. That's who I am. They hired me to do this job and I'm going to do the best of my ability. But you said, I'm going to be myself no matter what. And I, I just, there's a lot of people that get into a room and they they conform and they they don't have their own personalities. And it's almost like they're trying to impress people. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the, although you were very impressive, that wasn't the vibe. You were like, I'm going to be me. you know. Tell me a little bit about that and and how, because there are people that just act a certain way when they're around different people. And that's, I don't necessarily like that. Tell me a little bit about your take on all that.
0: Thank you. You know, there's a little bit there. And here's the other thing. I don't want people to, you know, there's always like the pendulum. It can overcorrect and swing one way or the other. You know, the other thing is to, you know, don't get so caught up in things have to be my way and this is my personality. So it's okay because it's just how I feel. You know, it's just like the personality profile we're talking about. And, you know, Jack was the first employee of NextStar. He was the first CEO. And, and yeah, he he left for a few years and came back and did it again. But I mean, those are just big shoes to fill. So when I think about it, and for those of you who are listening or may not know who Jack Tester is or, or can't envision me, I'm about a five foot eight brown guy. All right. Jack is about six foot something white guy, Scandinavian. And so we couldn't look any more different. But my point was, is that he's college educated. He's brilliant. He's thoughtful. And, you know, he had his way of leading. And so I don't, you know, when I said, I'm going to be me, it was never to be flippant or to, you know, take away from tradition. It was simply to say, look, if if I say things or do things a little bit differently, I want that to be open to a conversation. When we announced our transition to the membership, we shot a video. And the phrase that I used is that Jack's got some big shoes to fill. So I'm not going to fill them. I'm going to wear my own. But I will say we're going the same direction. So I'm following the path. I'm keeping the traditions. I I honor and I acknowledge your next artist. So even when I'm saying I'm being myself, I don't want to be myself for the sake of myself or the ooh, look at me. It's just, look, I may communicate a little bit differently. I I look a little bit different. And what I want to say is I want that to open a conversation for understanding where people could get to know me better because for many years, it was all about me seeking to understand others. And now I want to ensure that I can create a model where people who might've come from a neighborhood like me or look like me can say, you know what? I can make it in that industry or I'm welcome in that industry. That's why I talked about at that uh, super service system, it was so cool to me to look out over all those technicians and see the number of female technicians and minorities and just the diversity in that room. And, you know, that's what, you know, family gatherings look like. We're not all conformist and we're not all the same, but also, you know, I'm not going to go get a neck tattoo next week either just to show you guys I can do it because I'm different and I'm special. Or, you know, maybe, maybe I need to take up another line of work if I'm going to do that. But as far as being professional, you know, and and just doing things like even today is a very casual Monday for me. I'm in a polo, you know, but many other days I'm in a tie, you know, it's it's, don't be different just for the sake of being different, I guess is my point, but also embrace yourself and have difficult conversations.
1: You know, I go in that bottom drawer right there. I'm sure there's another pair of clothes in there for later.
0: (laughs) Always ready. Yeah, I I have a change of professional clothes and a change of casual clothes because no excuses. You get results or you get reasons and you only get one and I'm all about the results. Yeah, you're
1: just a fun guy. If anybody gets a chance to go hang out with Julian for a day, it's just a blast. You you really do. You made me feel at home. You know, when I pulled into Minnesota, I came in at one p.m. or one a.m. with Bree, and it's uh, St. Paul, and we stayed right downtown. And I, I've never been to Minnesota. I thought, man, grumpy old men, where the movie was shot, and uh, yeah. And I walk in. the The funny story was, and I'll share it real quick. Is I'm driving around and. You know, it looks okay, but it's kind of dark in certain areas, and and there's definitely homeless people, and uh, we're looking for a place to eat, and even White Castles was closed, which killed me, because I was looking forward to it. We go to this gas station. We just decided to pick up some chips and soft drinks, whatever, but I walk up to the guy as I'm checking out, and there's this big glass shield that's a bulletproof, you know, thing or whatever, and I go, is this neighborhood okay? He goes, no, it's not. He goes, I'd get the hell out of here as quick as possible if I were you. And I'm like, we got to go. <laughs> but uh, anyways, I really did enjoy. I got to see the, um, I think that's the c- Congress building. And just next time I come, I want to hang out on a- Mississippi River and see some of the lakes. Speaking of Jack Tester real quick, and then I'll go through the final couple questions and get you uh, done. Jack, uh, he's still part of the company. He's doing succession planning, yes. right? Yes,
0: yes, 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 yes. So-, so he- there's a
1: good book called Built to Last by Jim Collins that he talks about a lot about Jack Welch and what he left GE in a better position than when he came and how great leaders, when they pass the baton, they pass it on in a better place to a better person to take it on to a better place to go. Not saying who's better, but they say, I want the company to win. My legacy is how good the company does when I leave, not how good it was when I was there. That's right. It's Interesting. I think right now, more than ever, people are trying to figure out succession planning. It's a weird time in the, just in the world right now. Um, yeah. So Julian, you got three books to recommend. Any three books doesn't need to be about home service, doesn't need to be about business, could be about anything. What are the three books?
0: Yeah, The Slight Edge, which talks about the impact of small actions over time. It's very similar to the compound effect. So, you know, the Slight Edge was just the one I read first. Success Principles, that was a, a book that changed my life by doing that work by Jack Canfield. And you know the book that I would just say that keeps me centered is Proverbs. I read a proverb a day, and I'm not saying that I'm perfect. And I'm not saying that I'm the example, but you de- in my opinion, you should definitely have something that helps center you, and you know, just take you to higher higher ground and, and think a little bit bigger than yourself. And that's that's what I would offer.
1: And this is the last question. I, I went over a little bit, but the last question I'll always do is talked about a lot of fun things, a lot of good stuff with business. But there might have been something you wanted to talk about we didn't touch upon. So I'll give you the next few minutes, anything you want, any go to action, go do this now, any principle, any final thoughts to get the uh, listeners thinking about themselves.
0: Yeah. The thing that I feel most passionately about, at least in this moment, is, um, you know, this, this state of our society, you know, let's open opportunities for people. And I'm not talking about charity or giveaway or you know, bring somebody into your business who's bad, but I do really invite you to, um, you know, look in places you maybe have never looked before, to look at people that you might not have thought of as leaders, you know, if they if they don't have a haircut like Tommy and, you know, the good looks, doesn't mean that they can't be leaders. And so I really invite, you know, look at some of the females, look at some of the underrepresented populations, you know, right after we had an incident out here last year uh, with George Floyd, and I got a phone call from a lot of our members, mainly our white members asking me, you know, what, what can I say to my minority staff? And in the most direct way I could say it, I said, well, do you have any minorities on your leadership team? No. Have you said anything the past 10 years? No. Well, then don't say anything now. Now it's time to listen. And and I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong. I don't want to get into the politics of it, but I am saying, expand your view. You know, just step back a little, look at people a little bit differently. And I sense this in our membership there's a hyper pride around the female service technician or the the female comfort consultant. And that's amazing. That's great. And let's not stop there. You know, diversity comes in many shapes, forms, colors, directions, and it's diversity of thought too. And that's where I really want to close with. So look a little bit differently, you know, look at things a little bit differently, get to know the person and their their actions more than than the way they look and behave. But don't be afraid to surround yourself with people who have diversity of thought, thought. You know, just because you bring in somebody who's brown, who thinks and acts just like you, that's not diversity. Okay. You're just confirming the things you want to believe. Look for people that challenge you too in your business in a respectful way and look to build and learn from each other. So that's the thing I'm most passionate about is diversity, but it's not always the window dressing. It's not always the book cover. I'm saying diversity of thought, diversity of experience, and then create an environment where you can have those collaborative, uncomfortable, tough conversations and your business will be amazingly grown and you'll attract more people than you ever thought you could. That's been my experience.
1: great message i really really appreciate you ending with that i i think creating the lures lures aren't for fishing the the bait Mm -hmm. of putting the bait out there in other areas that to grow in those atmospheres and you know what i've noticed is like in michigan is a little bit different than it would be in arizona Mm -hmm. because we've got more of a hispanic community
0: here right
1: and I love it when we have all these guys training from all these different markets to get to know each other, staying in the same apartment complex going on there, different food, different types of beer, different types of just
0: music, everything.
1: It's really been fun to kind of be able to witness that firsthand. You know, we're in 17 states, so I've got to see it. And it's cool. A lot of women leaders are coming into the business. Just it's actually really interesting, the, the, the point of views. And I love it because. I try to be the dumbest guy in the room and most of the time I'm it's pretty easy to do. So, but listen, Julian, you really know a lot, man. You know, a lot of people you're educated. I think you quoted about 27 books. I hope that people take the, the opportunity to get to know you a little bit and reach out to you on LinkedIn, but you're always welcome back out here. You know, finally got the keys to the house to realize I want to redo it. Which there you great, go. Right? That's
0: how it goes. But Appreciate you, brother. Thank you for having me. I, I sincerely appreciate it. And what I would say to the people that listen to you: realize that Tommy is a learner. So that even as we go back and forth complimenting each other, again, just look for those behaviors, those attributes that people have. If they're hungry, humble, and smart—another Lynchoni thing—the ideal team player: humble, hungry, and smart—they can do anything for your business. Go get them.
1: That's what they say. You got a PhD. You're poor, hungry, and determined, right? <laughs> <laughs> Still, all right, man. We'll see. We'll see you soon, brother. All right,
0: brother, man. Thank you.
1: Hey guys, I just wanted to thank you real quick for listening to the podcast. From the bottom of my heart, it means a lot to me. And I hope you're getting as much as I am out of this podcast. Our goal is to enrich your lives and enrich your businesses and your internal customers, which is your staff. And if you get a chance, please, please, please subscribe. You're gonna find out all the new podcasts. You're gonna be able to ask me questions to ask the next guest coming on. And, And do me a quick favor, leave a quick review. It really helps us out. When you like the podcast and you leave a review, make it four or five sentences, tell us how we're doing. And I just wanted to mention real quick, we started a membership. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. You get a ton of inside look at what we're going to do to become a billion dollar company. And uh, we're just we're, we're, we're telling everybody our secrets, basically. And people say, why do you give your secrets away all the time? And I'm like, you know, the hardest part about giving away my secrets is actually trying to get people to do them. So we also create a lot of accountability within this program. So check it out. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. It's cheap. It's a monthly payment. I'm not making any money on it to be completely frank with you guys, but I think it will enrich your lives even further. So thank you once again for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it.